for more than two days were black. You're listening to the news on RTHK. The weak global economy. Easy. The volatility and the upswings and the moods. Sort of a deflationary phenomenon again. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome back to Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra Hora. U.S. stocks fall from their records, metal sink and crude oil rebounds. Macau Casino revenue falls a record 49% on weak holiday demand. And Hong Kong's retail sales also plunge. Everything is plunging. Why is that? We'll ask our markets guest this morning, Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce's FX strategist, Patrick Bennett. Then French patisserie Paul Lafayette's owner, Tony Yunus, and his son, Merwin Yunus, tell us why they chose Hong Kong to set up their dessert business. Stuart Oldcroft of City Trust is guest host with us today. Good morning, Stuart. Good morning, Renita. So driven by a wave of, you know, global monetary easing, equities appear to have taken a breather. What do you think is next, Stuart? Another breather. Another breather, okay. <laughs> no, I think they're just taking a rest and uh, maybe we've, we're getting a bit of um, tiredness from the, the, the continued up and down movement. So take a rest and then we'll come back and fight again. Okay, so U.S. stocks have fallen after a weak auto sales report pulled the Dow and the S&P back from their latest records. And the Nasdaq dipped below 5,000 the day after scaling the milestone level for the first time in 15 years. The Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 130 points to 18,158. The S&P 500 lost 16 points to 2,101. And the Nasdaq Composite dropped 1% to 4,960s. Investors are increasingly focused on the U.S. Fed's decision on interest rates. Bond King Bill Gross of Janus says that uh, they, he thinks they're going to rise. I think the Fed is willing at this point to at least acknowledge that by uh, raising interest rates uh, 25 basis points in June. I, I also think, um, and, and this is important, Trish, that um, the, the interest rate can't be raised substantially even over the next two to three years. Even, you know, forecasting this conservatively, it's probably not uh, earliest until the first quarter of next year. So I think the markets will just continue to, to push off that first tightening uh, into the future. So, yeah, that was Bill Gross, uh, followed by David Rosenberg of Guskin Chef and Associates. Two opposite views on where the Fed comes out on this. And then here's uh, Stephen Parker of uh, J.P. Morgan Private Bank. He's the head of multi-asset strategies, and he appears to be in the Bill Gross camp. Uh, Whether it's June or September, you know, that's kind of tough to call, I think. The Fed is going to continue watching the data, seeing where we're, we're seeing momentum in the economy. I think what we have to recognize is that they're going to be doing this raise from a position of strength. We are seeing broad-based momentum in the economy, in the U.S. There's been a few blips recently, but when you look at labor markets, when you look at what's going on with jobs, when you're seeing strength in the housing market, a Fed hike some point in the middle of this year, when the economy is doing pretty well, I think makes a lot of sense. 
The U.S. has so much crude oil that it is uh, running out of places to put it. And that could drive oil and gasoline prices even lower in the coming months. For the past seven weeks, the United States has been producing and importing an average of one million more barrels of oil every day than it is consuming. That extra crude is flowing into storage tanks, especially at the country's main trading hub in Cushing, Oklahoma, pushing U.S. supplies to their highest point in the last 80 years. If this keeps up, storage tanks could approach their operational limits, known in the industry as tank tops. And this could happen by mid-April and send the price of crude and probably gasoline also plummeting. Stuart, what do you think? Uh, Are we looking at a further plunge just after a bunch of people have said that this might have bottomed out? Um, no, I don't think so. But I also think it's a bad, bad excuse for all those gas guzzler manufacturers in Detroit to start producing their inefficient machines again. Certainly. And speaking of plunges, uh, casino revenue in Macau dropped by nearly half, uh, dropped by nearly half, uh, last month as fewer mainland high rollers visited during the Lunar New Year holiday. Um, Gross takings from gambling in February fell 48.6% from a year earlier, and this was the biggest monthly decline on record. And uh, last but not least in the in the, on the topic of things plunging, the value of retail sales in January fell by 14.6% year-on-year to $46.6 billion. This was mainly due to a 21% fall in the, in the value of luxury goods being shifted. Sales of footwear and clothing accessories also fell 19%. Let's bring in our markets guest this morning, Patrick Bennett. Uh, he is the FX strategist at Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce. Good morning, Patrick. Good morning. So, Patrick, it's the ninth straight month that gambling has revenue. Gambling revenue has declined in Macau. What do you make of this? Well, look, I think the uh, the drive to, to cut out corruption and to cut out graft, I think, is, is clearly having an effect. Uh, that's uh, being represented, I think, as you say, also in the lower retail sales here. But it's also a result of slower or slow growth in China. Uh, growth is moderating. We expect to hear from the uh, National People's Congress this week that they're targeting slower growth for 2015. So it uh, it seems that the you know that the free money or, or the flush money is just not there anymore. But this thing about slower growth in China, I mean, it is indeed a little bit confusing because they're still looking at an average of about 7%. Is that right? Well, look, absolutely. I think it's very confusing. I think if you see uh, some of the media uh, outlets out there and talking about how growth is the slowest for 24 years, is a little bit, uh, is a little bit of uh, is a misnomer because, of course, the pie 24 years ago was, was very small and the pie now is much bigger. You can't grow uh, at 7 or 8 or 9% uh, ad infinitum. And I think uh, the, the Chinese economy is doing just fine. China's looking after itself. It has done before. It will do so again. China's not the saviour of the world uh, economic uh, growth. It, uh, it's not the world's marginal consumer. So what then is the fear? Well, I think the fear is that people say that they can that they can raise that they can raise demand that they can raise demand for commodities and they can be they can take the excess capacity in other, from other economies, but that's just not the case. I think, well, um, if I look at it from uh, China's perspective, they've got so many markets around the world now, and we shouldn't be assuming that Hong Kong and Macau are the exclusive domain of Chinese tourists, should we? No, ab- absolutely. Uh, you, you're quite right, uh, Stuart. As, as they open the as they open the borders and they relax. Uh, 
regulations then of course they, uh, the people want to look further afield and uh, and it won't be just uh, here or Macau that they go to. Because we, we read in Europe, in Australia, in uh, America, Chinese buyers are the biggest of all foreign buyers and, and so that's where a lot of this money must be going surely. Well that's the thing, I mean, we hear about capital outflow out of the Chinese economy, I, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's not quite clear what's happening right at the moment, we have a very large current account surplus and the, obviously the mirror image of that is, is a capital outflow so we're moving towards a, a developed economy but yes we hear that in, in housing markets you, you're quite right, uh, Australia or, or England or, or anywhere else around, around the world that the, the marginal buyers are, are Chinese, uh, Chinese uh, and, consumers And how do you think this in, interest rate cut at the weekend is going to impact China now? Uh, look, I think it's uh, it's a response to what is clearly slower momentum in the economy. Uh, I think we'll see more. I think we'll see more res- uh, required reserve ratio uh, cuts as, as we go through this year. I think, as we say uh, from the NPC this week, we get a slower growth target. We're looking for another 50 basis points of cut in, in the uh, interest rate this year. And that's going to impact the wealth management products that are being widely offered, isn't it? Yes, it is. We had that uh, that big trouble with those uh, last year when uh, when one of them failed and was quite uh, quite spectacular in that. Yes, we need to deregulate uh, the market. We've deregulated the, the lending rate. We need to de- deregulate the deposit rate, and we expect that to happen in the next and 12 And should months. that then feed through to a positive market for equities? Yes, I think it does. Uh, you know, the PE ratios are, are quite extended. We, we know the Stock Connect is going on at the moment. We can buy stocks here in Hong Kong at a, at a cheaper PE. But I think as, as the market opens up, as the capital account gets open, then I think it's uh, you know, a, a much uh, more attractive uh, opportunity for investors worldwide. And speaking of interest rates, uh, Patrick, interest rate cut on, in China, you know, is completely the opposite of what we're looking at possibly in the U.S. Uh, and another thing that's confusing, talking about many things that are confusing this morning. Uh, investors had been betting on a stronger dollar, which, however, slowed in its advance when the Fed dampened speculation of an imminent increase to interest rates. Would you say that Janet Yellen is turning from being currency traders' best friend to their biggest foe? Look, I think Janet Yellen and the team have done a fantastic job. Uh, I think all of us in the market sometimes are very guilty of the very guilty of, of coming up to an FOMC meeting and and spending 15 minutes of our month uh, deciding on what they might come out and say, whereas these people are looking at it uh, 24/7. So, I think uh, the FOMC have done a good job. Uh, you know, whether they raise rates or not, I, I think is going to continue to be a debate for for a number of months. But I think one of your earlier speakers uh, said if they are to be raising rates or what we say normalizing rates it's going to be because the u.s economy is performing is performing better and i think if that is the case then i think this fear which is, which is held around the around the, the fed raising rates uh, is misplaced so this fear by you know if the fed raises uh rates let's say by 25 basis points is this going to alleviate the fear well, I think uh, what we need to see from the Fed now is, is perhaps more communication when saying when they do start to normalise, when they do start raising rates, it's probably going to be to for 75 basis points to perhaps uh, you know one percent in the next uh, 12 months, and then they will stay at that rate for for a long time because certainly there is no inflation in the global economy. We have excess capacity, mm-hmm. we have uh, def- you know deflationary impulses from from lower oil prices, from lower commodities. So I think once the market gets comfortable with that idea that the Fed is raising rates because the U.S. economy is in such a state which can handle that, then I think that the markets, uh, equity markets, uh, can, you know, and uh, and asset markets in general can uh, continue to perform well. Now, certainly we talk a lot about, you know, investing in the equity markets, the asset, uh, the various assets. But 
What about currencies? I mean, given this, you know, thing with the U.S. dollar, what currencies should investors here be looking at putting their money in? Yeah, good point. Uh, look, we've, we've liked the dollar for some time and uh, because it has, because not because the Fed is about to raise rates, because it has better growth in its G10 peers. Uh, we like Asia because Asia has, uh, has good growth, has good yield, uh, has good uh, policymakers uh, here. So, so even though the dollar is uh, stronger, we like uh, Asian currencies to uh, outperform uh, other G10 currencies. And therefore you're expecting the Hong Kong dollar just like the US dollar, to be a stronger currency versus many of these other ones. Yes, absolutely. So because it's pegged to the to the, U, to the US dollar, then uh, holding Hong Kong dollars is a good currency. And how will the renminbi fare in all of this? Because if they're going to be cutting interest rates in in many markets, that would mean a weakening of the currency against others. Well, look, it does. You, you're quite right, uh, Stuart. People say if you cut a, if you cut uh, interest rates, that the currency should weaken. Uh, I would say if you cut interest rates and it, it supports uh, growth in the economy, then that's a, that's a good reason to hold that currency. We think that the, the renminbi is likely to be weaker against a stronger dollar, but uh, overall to be stronger on a trade-weighted basis. Uh, and the euro, I mean, uh, have you written that off yet? Well, it's funny. I, I think most people have. And uh, what are we now, around 113, 114, and a lot of people saying it's going to go back to go back to par. But uh, I think that trade is, is quite deep now. I think the euro goes a little bit weaker because the U.S. is because the U.S. is stronger. But uh, but the big move is, has been done. Yep. All okay. right, Patrick, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Patrick Bennett, and he is an FX strategist at the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce. Well, Switzerland has signed a deal with Australia to exchange tax information, its first such agreement under an international framework to automatically swap tax information. The two countries will begin collecting data from 2017, but they won't start sharing it until a year later. Switzerland has been growing under growing international pressure over bank secrecy and tax evasion. This was highlighted recently by allegations that the Swiss arm of HSBC helped clients dodge taxes. And uh, in tech news, there have been reports in the press that Google has been talking to wireless partners about a Google-branded network. Here's what company the company's uh, senior vice president, Sundar Pichai, said at the Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. I think we are at a stage where it's important to think about hardware, software, and connectivity together. Especially when you think about form factors like you need connectivity on your watch. You know, if you think about something like Android Auto, you need connectivity to do that possible. So we want to be able to experiment along those lines. And so that's the context in which we are thinking about. So there's a project we are doing. Uh, We don't intend to be a network operator at scale. You know, our carrier partners are the ones who will provide services. And even the effort we do here, we are actually working with carrier partners. But you'll see us, uh, you know, announce it in the coming months. But our goal here is to, uh, you know, drive a set of innovations which we think the ecosystem should adopt, and hopefully, you know, we'll get traction. And in other tech news, Alibaba shares are trading at a post-IPO low, quite contrary to all the hype around when it first priced last fall. Here is Bloomberg's Scarlet Fu. When the ADRs priced at $68 and they jumped 38% on the first day, they rallied as much as 75% to $119. But since then, it's been a steady decline. And now Alibaba is trading only 19% above its listing price. If you look at how it's doing today, it's the ninth decline in 11 days. And Yahoo, which, of course, owns a big Alibaba stake and plans to spin it off, is also falling by the most in a month. We've got it 
trifecta of negative headlines here hitting Alibaba. Its rival Chinese uh, online site, JD.com, reported better than expected results. So there might be some switching out of Alibaba in favor of JD.com. Also, Taiwan regulators have told Alibaba to leave the country because of alleged investment violations. Apparently, it was incorrectly registered as a Singaporean company instead of as a mainland Chinese company. And finally, there's a report that Alibaba's merchants are paying people to pretend to be customers to pad sales figures, which doesn't help when you already have the Chinese government accusing Alibaba of lax oversight of its websites. Um, overall, analysts say that these are near-term concerns or PR concerns. There's still lots of reasons to be positive in the long term uh, if you consider its market position and its strong balance sheet. But I should leave you with one note. There might be more pressure, selling pressure on Alibaba's shares the next two to three weeks because on March 19th, company insiders can sell their shares when the lockup period for the IPO expires. Gil Luria is a research analyst at Wedbush Securities and he weighs in on the bad news piling up for Alibaba. That's in terms of the fake merchandise. That's well known. Alibaba's combating it, but it's a long journey. eBay and Amazon took many, many years before they got all the inauthentic merchandise out. And then in terms of the fake volumes, those don't really impact the economics. They don't generate any revenue on those. And so it doesn't really impact the economics. Economics are driven by Chinese consumers wanting to buy more. Uh And they're trying to combat that just like Google tries to combat people doing SEO and trying to gain search. Alibaba's in the same boat. They have to constantly chase down these retailers that are trying to game their system right. to get their results up on Taobao. And it's, it's going to be ongoing. I don't think it's gotten worse. Okay. Well, I think the new so, things uh-huh. in terms of the political situation, I think that, that the, um, possibly politicians in China and in Taiwan are trying to flex their muscles. Alibaba has gotten so big. Jack Ma has gotten so prominent that I think there's a sense that maybe they need to get put in their place. I think that's all it is. Uh, Alibaba and Jack Ma have maneuvered political waters very well over the last 15 years, and I think they'll maneuver through these uh, issues as well. The numbers this morning, the Nikkei is down 99 points, uh, or half a percent, to 18,716. Australia's ASX 100 down 12 points to 5,890. And Sols-Kospi is up just uh, slightly, uh, less than half a point to 2,001. In currencies, one euro currently buys you 1.11 US dollars. The US dollar is trading at 119 yen. And one pound sterling is worth 11 Hong Kong dollars and 91 cents. His eyes are bigger than his stomach. He is big waster. When you shop at markets, bring your shopping checklist. Think before you buy. Don't overspend. When cooking at home, try to get the portions right. Don't cook excessively. Eat all the food up and everyone will be happy. Wrap up and refrigerate leftovers. Pay attention to expiry dates. Finish food before expiry. Make food-wise choices. Reduce food waste by 10% and don't be a big waster. Foodwise Hong Kong. The time is now 8.21 a.m. And if you have a sweet tooth, then you'll agree it's never too early to start the day with a French pastry. And you might even find yourself stopping over at a French patisserie shop uh, like Paul Lafayette uh, before you find your way to work. So we're joined now by the shop's founder, Tony Yunus, and his son and assistant director, Merwin Yunus. Good morning, gentlemen. 
Good morning. Good morning. So, Tony, you opened your first shop in the K11 Mall in Chimsa Choi in January of 2010, not too long ago. But you already have eight shops in Hong Kong. Why did you choose Hong Kong to be the city to open your first ever patisserie shop? You have to have to be a foodie guy. You have to have a passion for what you do. And I used to travel back and forth to Hong Kong. And really, I can say Hong Kong is a place where uh, is a paradise for food in all Asia. You have a big mix of uh, different kind of kitchen, and you have a huge choice. So this is why I can say it's kind of an international hub. And local people gave us a huge chance. Uh, Hong kids, they like to try any new uh, kind of kitchen. When、and we were on the wrong, on the right time, I can say, and we start with a tiny shop in K11, and by today we have ten shops. Yes. So when you say you have a range of different kinds of kitchens in Hong Kong, what do you mean by that? Different kinds of restaurants or different kinds of? No, no I want to say by in Hong Kong there's a big choice of different kind of food from different countries.、Mm-hmm. I mean, Hong Kong is a place where travelers, businessmen, many people, tourists come to the city. And the city really is very open to it. Open its doors to different kind of food. You can find food from every corner in the world in Hong Kong. So it's I, a kind of cosmopolitan place. I can see why that could be good, but does that not also then increase the competition? The competition is quite high. I mean, we were the first one to launch this kind of concept in 2010 January, and now I can say the competition is very tough. But you have different kind of competition. You have competition in the fine dessert, and you have a competition in mass market dessert. So, Merwin, if I could ask you, I mean, you work obviously with your father.、Uh, what is it like to, you know, work in a family business in a place like Hong Kong, being an outsider? I mean, the concept of family business is is very cultural, you know, certainly in this part of the world.、Um, but sort of being foreigners in this environment, is there anything that's different about it? Well,、um, I think it has a lot of pros and, and cons.、Um, First of all, as you were saying, I think the family—I、uh, mean, the family business in Asia in general—has a different view from the one we have in in Europe.、Uh, I think it's much more stronger in Asia compared to what we have, especially in France.、Um, what、really? I was saying is, it it all. Sorry? I mean, and now that intrigues me because you know I have this、uh, vision of certainly. In, You know, for things like patisserie shops, you know, in France, you know, fathers passing down to their sons, down to the next generation, teaching them how to bake the bread, and so. Am I completely wrong? No, it, it is.、Um, it is true.、Uh, I think nowadays it has changed a bit, but that has been the case for us. I mean, our pastry passion, pastry love, has come from our mother and our dad, which is the reason why we were already. I mean, we were nowadays working with our brother also in, inside the company. And I mean, it facilitates a lot of things to work、uh, in a family. It facilitates、uh, comprehension, trust, and I think you always have like a, a backup.、Um, uh, I mean, it's always easy to communicate with my brother, with my dad, comparing to maybe other potential people. But at the same time, it also—I mean—it's also the case because you're driven by something in common, which is a love for pastry. And I think as long as you have something that keeps you united. It was all, always be an advantage and a plus. I mean, it sounds ideal. So, why would you say then that the family business culture here is stronger? I think because in I mean, discussing with a lot of people around,、uh, 
you have so many family business. Would it be in Hong Kong, China, uh, Korea, or other part of, of Asia or Southeast Asia? Um, I think people understand that the relationship in between family members is can be stronger and can be a plus within working into a business. Um, and I think that's I mean that's the case just in this part of the world more than others. Uh, Hong Kong people are, of course, you've, you've already said, uh, Tony, that Hong Kong people like different um, foods. Have you had to adjust recipes to suit the Asian taste? For sure we had to, and I think this is also one of the main differences we have in Polified comparing to but other... Less, less sugar? Less sugar is the first yes. thing. The mm. second thing is Asian flavors. Yes. In our macros, we have a range of sesame, oolong, ginger, mm. all those kind of things. Mm. Um, green tea. Green tea, yeah. uh, something very famous, yeah. which is the, the creme brulee. Yes. It looks very French, but at the same time, it was like being influenced by the egg tart mm. that we received through the Portuguese to make I, I have to tell you, Renita, I'm very disappointed there aren't any samples here <laughs> for me to be trying. I was thinking, Stuart, you're the lucky one this morning because you've got them there at QGO. All they've got is a photograph, I can tell you. That's not very good. <laughs> terrible, terrible. <laughs> However, <laughs> I mean, you, you clearly want to get people to be buying your products. So, I mean, you've got just a whole range. What, what are the range of products? We have macaroons, we have pastries, birthday cakes. and uh, I'm salivating at this point, by the way. <laughs> with some, like, always signature item, as I was saying, the creme brulee, we caramelize it on site, so it attracts mm. people with, as we we're saying, like the flavors, all those kind of things will attract people into the shop. And we're going to have a, a proper range of tea, um, biscuit collection, and ice cream coming soon. Mm. So, uh, Tony, what about things like retail? I mean, for any kind of retail business in Hong Kong, this one really is the kicker. I mean, even if it's good to start off with, it invariably, you know, rents rise. And, you know, you find many restaurants and uh, many kinds of businesses moving out of their locations or sometimes even closing down as a result. But you've done the opposite. You've expanded. So tell us how you've dealt with this. Uh, expanded, yes. But you are right. The biggest challenge in our industry is really the rent. The lease is the biggest, biggest challenge. And now start being a bit also the labor. The lack of labor. So, what attracts some people to go to this company than to another company? Maybe our business is a kind of indulge yourself. Maybe the younger generation prefer to work more in some sweet uh, tooth uh, companies than in other uh, industry. Also, we have our uh, culture in the company. We are very flexible with the team, with the staff. We have kind of training between kitchen and shops. I think this kind, and we have some other social advantage can attract uh, the staff to stay with Paul Lafayette and be more loyal. So why is labor a problem then? Is it a challenge, did you say? Yes, it's a challenge. So, but since Paul Lafayette is offering, you know, all of these various advantages for labor, why would it be a problem? Is it that people don't want to work in the sweet tooth industry? They prefer to be bankers? Exactly, exactly true. In what I want to say, the younger generation, they may prefer to work maybe five days a week, have their weekend uh, travel, because working in the F&B industry required to work six days, required to work during holidays, and required also to work late by night sometimes because you have to close the shop at 10, 11, or midnight. So there is some uh, challenge, which maybe some new generation prefer to take it on the other side of the, like the bankers. All right. Thank you so much. Very interesting stuff. Thank you for joining us this morning. That is Tony Yunus and Merwin Yunus, the owners of uh, Paul Lafayette Patisserie Shop here in Hong Kong. Uh,
let's take a quick look at the numbers before we close up the show. The Nikkei is down now 143 points to 18,671. Australia's uh, ASX uh, index is down 19 points to 5,883. And Seoul's Kospi down just two points to 1,999. Gold is at $1,204 per ounce and Brent crude oil at $61.02 per barrel. Let's see. Here we are at the end of the show. Uh, Stuart, we've got the National People's uh, Congress uh, meeting coming up on Thursday, tomorrow. What else should we be looking out for this week? Well, it's been a bumpy week already. It's going to continue to be a bit bumpy in terms of uh, economic numbers, in terms of um, responses by markets. So uh, don't expect too many surprises, though, from China. All right. Thank you so much for joining us, as always, on a Wednesday morning. That is Stuart Aldcroft, chairman of City Trust, and I'm Renita Malhotra-Hora, wrapping up for Money for Nothing. Let's uh, take a quick look at the weather forecast for this morning. Today will be cloudy with a few rain patches. The main, uh, the maximum temperature will be around 19 degrees Celsius and a moderate northeasterly winds will strengthen from the east later on. Right now, the temperature is 19 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 93%. And now it's time for the half hour news summary with Samantha Butler. Miss warnings made about Iran's nuclear program by the Israeli Prime Minister during a controversial speech to the U.S. Congress. Mr. Obama said Benjamin Netanyahu had failed to offer any viable alternatives on the core issue of how to prevent Tehran developing a nuclear weapon. The alternative that the Prime Minister offers is no deal, in which case Iran will immediately begin once again